Hello, hello. This is Catherine from the future. So there's been a few more of you listeners recently, which is cool. And I just wanted to say, first off, if you want to listen to the first few episodes of this podcast, go for it. But I am a master's student that had no idea how to edit when I first started. So I think there's a lot more errors in the first few episodes. And if you skip a few, you might reach the point where my editing skills had improved. But also, just so you know, even though the next few episodes after this you're going to see are going to be with me and Sarah, in the modern day of this podcast, I am doing this podcast with a new side guest who is a friend of mine every week. So if you jump to some of the present episodes, I'll be with someone other than Sarah. But yeah, it's cool that more people have been listening. I hope you enjoy it. And of course, if you do, write a review of the podcast, give us a good star rating, and you might bring us even more listeners. And now, we return to the past and the beginning of our introductory episode. So this is our introductory episode. So Sarah and I are very good, very old friends, and we decided that we wanted to do a podcast about reviewing sci-fi books. Um, Specifically, we're going to be reviewing every book that ever won the Hugo and making our way up through the years. But before we started, um, we wanted to give you guys a chance to know a little bit about us. So Sarah wrote up a list of questions that we're each going to answer. Indeed. Yes, we both are very big readers, and we thought that it would be good to give you an idea of what kind of things we like to read, what our opinions are about reading outside of the challenge that we're undertaking. So to clarify, we're going to read a Hugo-winning book every other week until we reach the modern day. So if you like reading sci-fi, then you should try to read along with us. So for every book that we read, Catherine and I will both be picking slash creating, inventing a cocktail somewhat inspired by the plot of the book, and we will be tasting and reviewing them. Yes, and then on every episode, we will talk, be talking about which one is better. Um, Indeed. But maybe whoever recommends the best cocktails at the end of the show will win a prize. Ooh, yeah. Um, <laughs> followers, uh, if you... <laughs> <laughs> If you have any cocktails you want to share with us that you think are relevant to Hugo books, put them on our Instagram. 
Um, and if you send us a really good one, maybe we'll. Sarah's a really good artist, so maybe we'll make you um a nice bookmark that's related to the book you sent us a po- um a cocktail from. Mm. Indeed, I will try my best. Yes, which I think I think that would be fun. But yes, and um, we have set up a Patreon. We, as I just mentioned, we have an Instagram. Um, so if you want to talk with us, send us suggestions for books we should review that didn't win Hugo's. Um, tell us things we could be doing better like the photos of our cocktails um you can find (laughs) all of that stuff there um yeah and um sarah do you want to talk a little bit about the different things that people can get on our patreon yeah (laughs) so for our one dollar patreon tier vostok one named for the first manned mission to space Um, You will gain access to our Discord server, um, where you will have a chance to have, submit a a question or a comment that we will read on the podcast, as well as um, the written out cocktail recipes for each of the cocktails in the episodes. For the $5 Apollo 11 tier, which is obviously the moon mission, um, you'll get all of the rewards from tier one, as well as a monthly reading wrap up and Q&A extra bonus content from us where we'll talk about all of the books that we've read in the past month and answer any questions and or any questions we want to answer um if no one asks any (laughs) because uh, you may not be curious yet i don't know i have to (laughs) drum up some some mystery um and plus any other extra videos that we feel like recording and sharing um for the ten dollar voyager golden record uh, you'll get all of the re- rewards from Tier 1 and Tier 2, as well as having your names listed in the show description, um, thanking you for your contribution, and we'll also read your names out at the start of the episode, and we will also have a monthly Discord live stream that you can take part in. Yeah, it should be lots of fun. And, you know, we can just talk about whatever you guys think is interesting, what's your favorite sci-fi books, what are your favorite movies based on sci-fi books, it's gonna be a good time. So the first question, first just general question is, um, what do you love about reading? Well, I think my favorite part about it is losing myself in a different world. Being like interested in those characters and their lives and if they're going to do like the right thing. And, you know, I think it's like allows you to take a step back from your own life and immerse yourself in something else um and then i also just like really love um seeing world building because i think it's very interesting seeing like the construction of different like times and potential places because i think that people often think that like or they just don't think about it at all that where we're living now is like the way it definitely was like always going to be but there's so many different crossroads in history where it could have ended up entirely different and we could have 
lived in entirely different places and thought that was normal. What about you? For me, I think that like my, like the thing that I care most about um, in literature is kind of like the craft of writing and the kind of um, like cultural conversations that are happening in the world of literature. Um, because I think that, well, like my genre of choice, I guess, would be like literary and like classical or the classic fiction, I guess, because I'm really interested in works that are either like making a statement or like trying to understand or dissect like something relevant to our lives or is like partaking in kind of a larger cultural conversation partially just because i like the idea that those are yeah i guess like i am just like interested in like the the culture just because i just kind of find it fascinating um i like to see like what other people are doing in the world of art and um literature which i feel kind of like i feel a little bit like maybe a bit of a pretentious reader in that way but i don't know i, I just think it's fun <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't really think there's any shame in that like i at one point read through all of um the early books that had won a pulitzer because i was curious about just like how literature has changed over time and i enjoyed that and i don't think that was like that weird of a thing to do so what is our next question so our next question is what kinds of books do you most enjoy reading so um my favorite books to read are usually fantasy because i just really I love worlds. I love seeing different worlds. I love a good magic system. If it's got rules. Um, if it doesn't have rules, then I don't want anything to do with it. But, um, so I think that's a big one. And then beyond that, I mean, the real question basically becomes like, what do I not like to read? Because I read sci-fi. I read a lot of historical fiction. I read mysteries. Mm. Um, and if we're getting into that, I also read a lot of um, historical nonfiction because I am a historian and then I read a lot of nonfiction books on the side just for fun. And I mean, I think mm. the only genre that I really am usually not a fan of is like pure romance. Um, not that I don't like romance on the side, but like a book that's just like three pages of will they won't they mm. it's usually like i'm sorry i don't care that much yeah i kind of feel the same way like i like a book that has like a nice strong romance in it from time to time and i guess that like in that way like maybe it could be like some of the books that i appreciate in that way could be considered like romance novels but like, usually that's not the focus of the book, and I just feel, like, of the romance books that I've read, they just, a lot of them, to me, 
come across as feeling like kind of contrived because um, in order for it to be or for it to be like, I guess, like marketably different and unique, it kind of has to like stretch the bounds of my ability to like believe that these are, you know, real people with interesting lives. No, it's important for characters to seem real. Indeed. Or at the very least, like, for, like, the kind of, um, the ways in which they seem kind of, like, out of this world or unbelievable to be, like, intentional and also, like, meaningful to the work. Because, like, one of my favorite books um, is The Secret History by Donna Tartt. And in that book, like, everyone is, like, on one. Like, everyone is, like, a lunatic. Everyone, like, did all the drugs before, like, existing in this world. And it's kind of, like, that's, like, a purposeful choice because, like, Donna Tartt, like, knows how to write, like, a realistic character. Um, but in this work, like, really chose to exaggerate, like, a lot of the characteristics that these people have because it's, you know, a story about, like excessive wealth like excessive violence like excessive everything yeah i mean i don't think there's any problem with your characters being stylized as long as that's what you're going for indeed like this is not a book this is a movie but um i was thinking about it the other night because my boyfriend and i were talking about stilted dialogue and things mm -hmm. and one of my favorite horror movies is a movie called The Killing of a Sacred Deer, mm. which I, I won't give anything away from it. But if you watch it, you will notice everyone sounds weird. All the talking mm. is just a little bit off what people would actually say. But it's like very carefully done to put you on edge. Right. And so I think it's like as long as people are like aware as creators that they're doing that, it's a lot of fun. But when people just, like, randomly create people that don't seem like people, it's like, well, that's boring. Yeah, I think that, like, in terms of what kinds of books I enjoy reading, I'm really a fan of, I like, I guess I would say, like, most of what I read is, like, literary fiction, contemporary fiction, um, and I, like, you know, branch out from those genres and, like, just read whatever's good. But I think one of the things that's most important in a book to me is a, a work that seems, like, masterfully executed. Um, because I really cannot put up with, <laughs> like, a, like, a writing style that doesn't um, elevate the idea of the text. Because... To me, it's like, that's like the main reason why you're reading it as a book and not, you know, watching it as a movie or a TV show or literally just having somebody explain it to you. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the things that um, I think make, like, distinguish a book from a movie, like why a story should be a book as opposed to a movie are, like, when there's like a lot of really interesting, like, slow dialogue scenes, because... It's hard to do those in a movie, but also when there's like a lot of really good, like, um, very like intense, specific description about like how the wor world works in like scenes that it really wouldn't make sense to put into a movie, but help 
with the background. Indeed. Yeah, and I guess for me, I don't really enjoy to read, like, fantasy so much because one of the things that I also don't really care for is, like, long expository passages about, like, how things in the world operate because to me, I find them to be... I mean, I think that sometimes they can be a bit of a crutch. Like, I think that instead of finding ways to articulate that through um, passages that show these details instead of explaining them, it, like, is kind of a, a weakness in some writing, I think. And then also, I think that, for me at least, I find it, like, more interesting when a book kind of just drops you in a setting or in a place and kind of just allows you as a reader to like be immersed in it without having to explain to you so much of what's going on like the um i i really like parts of this book it's called gun with occasional music by jonathan lethem it's like a mystery novel that like takes place in the future and i can't really recommend it because it is like kind of like violently <laughs> misogynistic in kind of like um a pretty extreme way but one of the things that i really liked about it was that the setting is just like absolutely insane like it's taking place in a future world where they've like figured out how to like make animals sentient and like they figured out a way to make like babies grow up faster but like everyone hates it and, like now all children are like alcoholics and like everyone's doing drugs and like the the news isn't musical for no reason and like there's no explanation for it you're just kind of like dropped in that future and the plot just like exists in that world um and it's just a very vivid setting and very funny too <laughs> interesting maybe i will read it at some point well Indeed. I think that that's a decent... Uh, I'm going to make this a segue into the next question because I think it makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, so it's like, I do get that. And I think one of the reasons why I love my favorite author, Brandon Sanderson, mm -hmm. is that he does such an excellent job of being like, oh, you know, we're going to learn how the money works by like this character who's like, wealthy and doesn't mm. usually go to the market by themselves being like shoot i don't have any of that folks mm. um and like he really does a decent job of like putting those details into scenes but he also does and i think this is very fun where like in between sections of his books he'll give you like little snippets of short stories about people in other parts of the world that, like, aren't necessarily relevant to the overarching story, but just kind of, like, are, like, fun little stories. They're, like, a break from the main action, and they give you an understanding of, like, oh, that's what this island is like. And just, like, really help you instill, like, the world geography. I really enjoy that. I really enjoy the fact mm -hmm. that I have some idea of, like, in the Stormlight Archive series, of, like, what the government in day-to-day -day life is on, like, every single country. And that it wasn't done by him just being, like, 
I'm gonna write you exposition about this. It was like built up carefully through like interactions with people. But yeah. And there's also several other reasons why I love Brandon Sanderson, but he is my favorite. I'm not someone that rereads books very much because there's just so many new things to read. But whenever a new Stormlight Archive book comes out, I reread the entire series. What about you, Sarah? Who's your favorite author? It's a tough question because I think at one point I would have said that my favorite author was um, John Irving because one of my favorite books of all time is A Prayer for Owen Meany. But um, I've been like attempting to read like his entire work and I think I'm like, I actually don't know how, how far through I am because he's still very prolific, but um, and I still really enjoy John Irving, but I think that sadly, none of his other works that I've read so far have matched um, the reverence I have <laughs> for a prayer for Owen Meany. But I think that um, I really love Kazuo Ishiguro. He's written a lot of books that I think are really excellent. And I think I'm also obligated to say like Donna Tart because although I've only read The Goldfinch and The Secret History and have not also read um, a, a Little Friend or whatever her first book was, because I'm pretty sure she only, I'm pretty sure she's only released three books. I could be forgetting a fourth one, but I love both of those books. So it could be, could be Miss Donna Tart. I do love The Goldfinch. I have to admit, I haven't read any of her other books, though. Indeed. I'd highly recommend A Secret History. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I really loved The Goldfinch, so I would definitely be down. I'll have to put it, I'll have to put it on my list. But okay, so what's the next question? Our next question. What is the, what are the best and the worst books that you've read so far this year? Hmm... Do they are are we doing fiction, nonfiction, both? Any. Any. Okay. So in that vein, I will very slightly cheat and say that the best book that I've read this year, in my opinion, was actually a graphic novel. In mm. that I really, really love a online graphic novel that's called Kill Six Billion Demons. It's it's a very strange series, but I would wholeheartedly recommend it. It is about a girl named Allison, who she is a barista. And um, her and her boyfriend are, like, about to have, are about to have, like, really awkward sex for the first time. Um, when this, uh, like, alien being shows up. And it tries to put a, like stone of power into her boyfriend's head and it accidentally puts it into her head and so she gets thrown into this other realm and she doesn't know what's going on and then she's able to use the stone to will herself back to earth but she realizes that some of the people from this other mysterious realm have kidnapped her boyfriend which we find out that she didn't even actually really like him that much but like not like he was a bad guy or anything she just like wasn't actually like that super into it but that she feels like it would be like a good thing to do to go and rescue him and so it's kind of about her and her friends that she picks up along the way 
on this quest who all think that she's like sort of crazy but like admire that and it's kind of just like about the idea of like fighting against overwhelming odds and like even if you think you're gonna lose continuing to fight anyways so i um there's there's five of them now and they're graphic novels so i reread the first four and then read the fifth one for the first time this year and i really enjoyed that and then, so for my least favorite book that I've read this year, I am definitely going to be dipping into my um, nonfiction that I've read. And um, there was a book that I read for um, a paper that I had to do. So it was like an old book. But it's a book called The Druids by T.D. Kendrick, and it's from the 1920s. And its whole stick is that um, the Druids, like mm. in ancient Roman time, were murdered by the Romans because they were like these terrible, bloodthirsty barbarians. It's all people who weren't Romans, of course, were. And the Romans performed a great civilizing mission by killing them which i one am not the biggest fan of histories written by stuffy british men in the 1920s but two people who write stuff like that tend to be the type of people who are like yes even in the modern day those unlike me are barbarians and I'm on the great civilizing mission of the British Empire. And I tend not to like things like that. So yeah. Do you approve of my choices? Indeed. Yes, these are good choices. I think the best book that I have read this year is um, a memoir by the author Maggie O'Farrell. Who, um, so her memoir, I Am, I Am, I Am, is told in like 17 essays about um, like near like near death experiences that she's experienced or somebody close to her has experienced and it's just really interesting and it was like really moving and impactful um, because you know there's she told some like really harrowing stories about um, like her uh, like medical trauma that she went through like as a young child that left her um, Oh, I can't remember like what the condition she has is called, but basically like one of the like one of her um symptoms is that she really doesn't have like a sense of like proprioception, so she can't really like orient herself in space by like so like m most people have like the sense that like oh, I'm standing upright or like my limbs are like in this position in relation to each other uh but because of like the neurological damage that she she's she suffered um she no longer is able to perceive this and so there's a lot of other stories where she ends up like almost drowning because of this fact because like once she is like in the water um and like is kind of like floating in space she can't really like reorient herself but it was really interesting because i it was also interesting because i really enjoy um maggie o'farrell's like other work uh, i also read 
her newest book, The Marriage Portrait, this year because my boyfriend, when we we started dating like a couple months before my birthday, and for my birthday he got me Maggie O'Farrell's book Hamnet um, because he was unsure like we were at the point of dating where it was like oh I know like what kind of book she likes and that she really likes reading but I don't necessarily know like everything that she's ever read so um he got me Hamnet and I loved it so that's very sweet indeed yes so Maggie O'Farrell is an important author to me for that reason uh and her memoir is very very good and I would recommend it to many people okay and I, yes. <laughs> and what about something you've read that you didn't like? I did, I read um, this uh, winter, uh, Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, which is like a courtroom thriller that follows the prosecution of a woman who was taking her um, son to like, I, I want to say it's like, hyperbaric let me yeah it's hyperbaric oxygen therapy which is like a um okay experimental therapy for like a variety of uh like medical diagnoses that like kind of really doesn't have like a lot of like scientific evidence behind it but one of the things that people tend to use hyperbaric oxygen therapy to treat is autism. And when they are um, going through this therapy, the oxygen chamber explodes because oxygen is obviously really flammable gas and it kills her son and one of the other, the mothers of one of the other patients. And I thought that the mystery of who blew up the oxygen th chamber was, like, not very interesting. Um, but then on top of that, I felt like the portrayal of, like, autism and um, the way that the book, like, the book kind of really heavily implied that a cure for autism is achievable and desirable. And so, like, the whole issue surrounding that, I felt, was, like, kind of incredibly irresponsible and offensive so yeah yeah i'd agree with that because <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think i think in general it's like really bad to portray the ways that make people like mentally different as like making them wrong mm. right because it's like well, one, I think it takes, like, all types. But two, I think it's, like, that encourages those people to feel like they're, like, deformed and, like, can't contribute to society. Right, yeah. And, yeah. Like, I think that, like, as with all, like, medical interventions of any kind, like, the goal should be for people, as they are, to live, like, the most comfortable and successful lives possible and I think that there's a lot of ways that you know um therapy can help people uh like like achieve things but it's not about changing who they are no I like I mean like I genuinely believe that a lot of times people with autism see the world slightly differently and are able to use that 
to come up with stuff that's useful. Yeah, exactly. And that they have equally things to contribute. Right, exactly. Like, yeah, the whole attitude that, yeah, it was, I did not like any part of it. It was, like, really just, like, aggressively kind of, like, hateful towards autistic people. And, um... That sounds awful. Yeah, and I, like, when I started reading it, I kind of was like, hmm, seems like a little weird. And then probably like a third of the way through, I was like, wow, this is really bad. And then I kept on listening because it was just unbelievable because it was like every single time <laughs> that it, like, it, I thought it could not possibly get worse, it like just kept on digging deeper. And I was like, whoa, like that's really shocking to me that like i don't know like it was yeah i did not appreciate it no that sounds bad that sounds like a not good time (laughs) indeed so next question is um would you consider yourself a mood reader or do you tend to plan what you read next so i am a very list oriented person and I'm a little bit crazy, so I have a list of, like, all of the books that I would like to read at some point, and then I have a smaller list of, like, the books that are currently in my list, and I make my way through that list alphabetically. Half of the year, I go from A to Z, and half the year, I go from Z to A to, like, make sure I hit everything and whenever I finish a book from the list I put another one onto that list and I have like my big list of just like generally books I want to read but I also have like smaller lists I have been putting on their um histories of Canada since I live in Canada now so I want to learn more about it um and that's one of my lists I have like the list of Pulitzers um I have, like, a list of, like, um, great, like, feminism books. Um, and when I finish a book from there, I put one on. So I'm very, I'm very, like, oriented with it. And it's got to be, like, I've basically got to be, like, trapped somewhere with, like, no other options before I'll read something other than the next book on my list. <laughs> I'm a, Like I said, I'm a little insane. What about you, Sarah? <laughs> Uh, I rebel against pretty much, like, all forms of structure, so I, like, I basically just read whatever I feel like, uh, and if I'm not in the mood to read something, I don't really push myself to do that, because, first of all, like, I have, like, no reason to do that, like, no one's asking me to do anything, but then also, like, I want to give, um, every book that I read like a really positive chance and I think that there's a lot of books that I've read that I thought were really really good and I would have thought were really good like regardless of when I had read them but the fact that I was like that was like the right moment to like read it it makes it you know a really excellent book um that I have like a really strong like personal attachment to so that's fair yeah I think the thing for me is is um I just like reading. So, with the, I mean, 
there have been a few books that I've read that I've genuinely have been like, why did I read this? This made my life like worse. But there's probably like only like four of those I can think of in like my entire life because I just, I just like reading. So I'm usually pretty much happy to just like read whatever is next on my list unless like something has come out that I'm like extraordinarily excited for. Mm. But that's basically just like the next Brandon Sanderson book. True. <laughs> <laughs> um, or occasionally, like recently, I read The Fisherman, which I quite enjoyed, and that was not on my list. But one of my roommates gave it to me and was like, Catherine, you got to read this. And I was like, you know what? This is going to take me like two hours. And it did. So if someone gives me a book and is like, read it now, I often will sometimes do that as well. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but yeah. So what's the next question? Indeed. Well, I guess that like this next question, I, I don't know. Like, do you have books that you've really been wanting to read? And are, like, really anticipating and looking forward, but for whatever reason, like, haven't yet? Well, yes, because, well, one, um, I'll be like, ooh, I'm excited about reading this, but it's, like, five books down my list before I can get to it. Um, or also just, like, I just have so many books, and they pile <laughs> up because before I started my master's, I used to be someone that in addition to school was able to do a lot of free reading, but in my master's, I haven't really had a lot of time for it. So the books I've been wanting to read have just been sitting mm -hmm. there. And um, the one that comes to mm -hmm. mind the least that I'm very excited about is Babel by R.K. Kuing. So I'm mm -hmm. a really big Poppy Wars fan, if anyone has ever read that, which that is a series that she wrote which is fantastical historical fiction and it is about the opium wars in china about britain invading and there are a very select group of people who have like powers from like the ancient chinese gods but that like using them will drive you mad like it's just a matter of time and it's just a question of like what can you do with the power before you lose it and I loved that series. Mm. So when Babel came out, I was super excited. So I'm hoping I can read it soon. And it's an alternate universe of um, Britain in the 1830s. And it's all about the fact that the British Empire is like the hegemonic um, ruler of the world. Because like, I'm not entirely sure how this works. I haven't read the book. But my understanding is, is that for some reason they have like a monopoly on like the magic that it takes to um, translate between people. So, so you have to like get a British translator or you won't be able to like understand other people. And so I'm excited for it because her other books were good enough that I'm sure it will be fun. What about you? Hmm. Interesting. I've really been i mean i have a lot of books that i've really been wanting to read but haven't been able to get my hands on a copy yet but i think that one that i've been wanting to really read for quite a while is um there's no such thing as an easy job by uh kikuko tsumura uh which is a book about um it's like a japanese translated novel um about a woman who basically one day like quits her job and goes to like a job agency and is like i want a job 
like within walking distance of my house where I can just like think as little as possible and it's like as a concept it just seems really interesting to me and I'm also like really interested in books that are about um people like living in the modern world and the way that like work affects our lives and the role that it plays in our lives and how we can find meaning in the work that we do or the way that the work that we do um, prevents us from seeking or reaching like self-fulfillment so I think it'll be really interesting that is a very interesting idea and concept because it I think it is oftentimes difficult in the modern world to like find a job that you like that like sustains you that like you're also like attached to indeed yeah and Part of the reason why I want to read, like, there's no such thing as an easy job, is also because I enjoy reading books that are, like, not really associated with each other at all, but are, like, kind of, like, closely associated with each other in terms of, like, their themes and, like, the topics that they're addressing and are kind of, like, partaking in, like, uh, like a conversation about a thing. And I have read um, Convenience Store Woman by uh, Sayaka Murata. And I really liked that book. And it's a book about, like, basically it's just a book about, um, like, a woman in her 30s who is still working at a convenience store, even though the people in her life are telling her that you should, like, well, you should, um, like, quit that job. You should get a new job. Or, like, you should get married and you should be a housewife and you should have children and all of the expectations that are put upon her. But she just really enjoys being a convenience store worker. She thinks that that's, like, her calling in life. And it's just a really interesting um, take on this concept because, like, I think that um, it's, like, it's an interesting take on, like, the alienation of labor because, like, you would think that um, this kind of work would be, like, inherently alienating. Like, there's no way that a person could just, like, genuinely, like, enjoy um, this kind of work because it is, like, not um, really in alignment with like their personal goals in any way because their labor is exploited for like the profit of uh, a large corporation but actually um it's kind of it's about uh like the ways that we as people like can also uh create our own meaning uh within like situations that are like maybe not ideal for us uh like i think that probably um people should I think that the the state of work as it is, where people are like forced to work um, jobs that are exploitative and underpaying and also like personally unfulfilling in like very deep and serious ways is a travesty. But I think it's interesting the way that this uh, book suggests that like within those spaces, we can still um, find a form of self-expression and uh, a sense of meaning despite the ways that um, that work attempts to strip us of those things yeah that does sound very interesting do you remember how our second year i think uh english teacher in high school made us listen to some of those like audio essays i feel like i remember this so we had to choose a few of them. It was for one of our high school English classes. Um, 
and write about them. And one of the people's whose audio essay that I listened to was about a woman who um, had been like a, I don't know exactly like the term, but she was like, she worked in a lab in a university and she had like a master's degree and she was like very good at it. And then they moved because her husband got a really good new job and she, well, she was waiting to see if she got any of the science jobs in the town on a whim, took a job um, driving to deliver pizzas. And she actually decided under a lot of pressure from the people in her lives, they're like, what are you doing? That what she really wanted to do (laughs) was to drive and deliver pizzas because she really liked driving around she thought it was really interesting seeing who was ordering the pizzas at what time and she just she just liked it and it was relaxing and it didn't tax her brain and like obviously that is not as well paying or prestigious of a job as she had but like she enjoyed it right yeah I think also like what's interesting to me about it too is that it kind of I think that in a lot of ways I think that it's bad how, um, like, your, like, the work that you do every day is meant to be, or ideally should be, like, your life's meaning, like, the most meaningful aspect of your life, because it's great if it is, because, you know, like, I, it's kind of like, you know, killing two birds with one stone, (laughs) like, you need to work to make money, and it's fantastic if that thing that you do is also something that, you know, brings great meaning to you and is also like meaningful and helpful to other people. But I think that um, the reality for a lot of people is that in like the world that we live in, the things that we do to make a living are not necessarily things that we would choose to do outside of that setting. And I think that it's important, A, like first of all, to like, I think, like be empowered to, you know, find meaning and the work that you do do um just for your own (laughs) like your own happiness i guess like you know like trying to find a silver lining to it but then i think also um attempting to see everyone like regardless of who they are or what they do for work as people who exist outside of their obligations to uh capitalism or to uh work and to see that and to appreciate and live in the fact that we're multifaceted people who enjoy many different things and can do lots of things in our life yeah no i think that's i think that's a really good point and like i think that obviously it's like helpful to like not hate your job but like i have some friends who are really attached to their jobs that are really like yes this is very important for me and i also have some friends who are like well this is what i do to make money And then I do what I enjoy when I go home. And I don't think necessarily a lot of those people are any less happy. I think it's just, it's different for different people. Right. But yeah, so what's the next question? The next question is, um, what is the most recent book that you've finished reading outside of the reading that we've done for this podcast? Oh, okay. So the most recent book that I finished reading outside the reading for this podcast is a book called No Dogs and Not Many Chinese. Um, Treaty Mm. Port Life in China from 1843 to 1943, which is, as it sounds, it's about the treaty ports. So um, I'll give a very brief history of these. I promise not to get too into my my history. But um, the treaty ports were 
in China, um, in like the 1820s, it was very limited mm. where Europeans were allowed to land because the Chinese was very insular and they didn't want the Europeans like changing or affecting their culture. And Britain in particular mm. felt like they were losing a lot of money because they were shipping out a bunch of Chinese tea but there wasn't much that the Chinese wanted to bring in. And so some terrible man came up with the clever idea that the solution was to get the Chinese addicted to opium. Um, and so they started bringing in and giving opium to people. And mm. the Chinese government was like, well, obviously this is unacceptable. So they arranged for a bunch of opium to be destroyed. And the British, in response to that, um, militarily forced the Chinese to all but sanction the trade in opium, give a bunch of rights to foreigners, and let them settle in a bunch of ports, which came to be known as the treaty ports, and there were areas in each ones that were given as, like, sanctions to the mm. different governments. So the book is all about, like, people living there from 1843 till 1943, since World War II ended it. And mm. it's, like, about how, you know, they really didn't have like european things there so like what they brought the sort of place they tried to create how separate they tried to keep from the chinese and it's called no dogs and not many chinese because all these treaty ports on the european side had these beautiful parks in which dogs were not allowed and chinese were only allowed if they were nannies for white children because all the rich white families had a nanny for their kids and otherwise Chinese were not allowed in the parks they were like basically equivalent to like vermin that needed to be chased away so yeah and I thought it was a pretty interesting history I enjoyed it a lot indeed that does sound very interesting yeah I read a lot of history for fun that's like not my field just because I like knowing things it is good to know things <laughs> but yeah what about you the last book that I read uh outside of the podcast uh notes in an execution by danya kukavka and uh it was a book about like a serial killer who murdered like three women in the 70s and then another woman like in the i think like in the early 2000s it's a fiction book and it's um, like following his uh, last day before execution and his attempt to like escape prison. Um, but then it also has the perspectives of his mother, who was like forced to abandon him as a child because um, she basically. So she married like this older man like when she was like sixteen, and then ended up living like. Uh, like, alone on a farm with him, and then was, like, basically trapped there for several years um, with her two children, and was, like, finally able to escape, but basically, like, had to, like, flee the situation entirely, um, and wasn't really able to go back. And also, like, kind of, like, didn't really have a desire to go back, because she had been, like, kind of forced into this situation, and, um, yeah, like, for her own uh, like healing couldn't really continue to be in that situation and so her there's her perspective there's the perspective of um, his ex-wife's twin sister and then also um, the perspective of 
this detective who also coincidentally had lived with him for a period of years um, in a foster care home that they were both in. And I thought it was okay. I did not really love it, um, but I thought that it was all right because I think that it didn't really accomplish the things that it was trying to accomplish um, particularly well, although I think that um, it did raise uh, some questions, so it was so-so. Interesting. I mean, it sounds like an interesting concept. Yeah, it was an interesting concept, and I guess that's, like, what really disappointed me about it, because, so, like, the two things that, like, it really seemed to be trying to accomplish based off of, like, the text itself, and then also things that the author had, like, said about the book, um, was that it wanted to, like, decenter the narrative of the serial killer in stories about, um, like, you know, these incredible acts of violence, acts of incredible violence, I should say. And it was also, like, a response to, like, the current cultural obsession with, like, true, uh, true crime media. And I just didn't think that it did either of those things, because the fact that um, there are, like, the perspectives of, like, three female characters in the story about violence against women, their lives are, like, really kind of strongly still defined by the men who abuse them. And the serial killer, like, is the center of this narrative because everything that happens revolves around him and actions that he does and the ways that he kind of interferes with the life of everyone else around him. So I think that, like, categorically, it just, like, did not... <laughs> do that thing i don't yeah I, I don't think that like either story is like good or like w better or worse than the other but i just think that it was not the story that it said it was and then it also kind of was a, like attempting to like talk about like the cultural obsession with um true crime and the way that people are like obsessed with serial killers but i don't really think that it did that either because it just didn't like it didn't really uh explore this issue at all like it kind of made a lot of remarks about how like murder itself is a tragedy but then it's like additionally tragic that the lives of the people who are like murdered in like these really extremely horrifying ways are like the way that their lives are um kind of forgotten in favor of focusing on like their last moments uh but it Beyond that, like, didn't really discuss, like, why it is that true crime is, like, a cultural phenomenon, because I think that um, one of the things that is really interesting about this uh, trend is that, like, a lot of true crime media is, like, produced by women and consumed by women. And so the attitude that the book has that, um, like, true crime media is about, like, making a spectacle out of violence against women and it's about like male fantasies of like hurting or like exploiting women to me like doesn't really um like fully explain like why like this why people are like watching these things because like for the most part like people who are watching that content like aren't really i think watching it for those reasons yeah no i think mostly it's like well, I think from, for some people, it's like a fascination with how some people could be so terrible. And I think for some people, it's kind of like a fascination with something that really scares them. 
Right, yeah. And I think, like, one of the things that the book says, um, like, repeatedly, too, is that, like, the the question of, like, why a person would commit acts of violence like that is just not an important question, and it's not interesting. And it's kind of like, well, like, I don't think that everything, like, I don't think that everything needs to be interesting to everyone. And I also think that it is, like, a relevant question to ask, because I think that, like, refusing to interrogate, like, how these things happen like how we might like it prevents us from collecting any information that we might use to like prevent these things from happening before they occur um which is like <laughs> bad crime prevention strategy i think it's very relevant to ask why people do these things because you know right. i do think that probably you know obviously not everything but i think a lot of really bad crimes could just be prevented by like better mental health networks um that catch people when they're younger. Exactly. Yeah. Because like, I don't know, not to, not to say that would fix everything, but I think it would help. And and like, yeah, I just feel like, um, it also, I think was like attempting to be, um, an argument against the use of the death penalty. But the only character that kind of like really strongly makes that, uh, argument is, like, the serial killer himself, who, like, also, like, repeatedly makes statements like, I am, like, special, and, like, I don't deserve to be punished for my crimes, and it's like, okay, well, like, why, if this is, like, an argument against the death penalty, like, why is it that, like, no other person is attempting to, like, make this argument? Because the argument that every other character has ranges from, like, well, it is what it is, all, like, all the way to, like, I'm against the death penalty because actually um, bad people deserve to suffer more. And it was like, okay, well. Oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah, I think uh, trusting your point to the integrity of your serial killer uh, main character may not be the wisest choice. Yeah, it was just weird. Like, I feel like, like, I'm you know, against the death penalty. Um, And I think that there were aspects of the novel that I think did build that argument. But the, um, the way like, I just I struggle to see how like this author, and then also like, like editors and people that she worked with on this novel, like failed to see how like that detail kind of, like, detracted from that argument. And it kind of felt like, on, on a certain level, like, maybe, like, Kafka, like, didn't really have, like, a strong statement on um, the death penalty, and it was kind of just, like, presenting a bunch of opinions, which I think is, like, kind of, like, I think that that is a valid approach to an issue and a piece of literature, but I think that the way, like, I don't know, I just, it didn't seem like that was, like, an intentional, <laughs> it just felt like it, the argument was just, like, not really well crafted. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty fair. I think it's, like, you you have to, like, if your book has, like, a strong argument you're trying to make, you gotta make sure that, like, several people, like, at least subtly point it out. But, yeah. So, what's the next question? Indeed. So, the last question is a question about um, reading formats. Uh, out of, like, ranking for you, do you prefer audiobooks, ebooks, and physical books. And for physical books, do you tend to prefer paperbacks versus hardcovers? So if I am on a long car ride, there's a chance I may listen to an audiobook. 
but otherwise I will not and I never read ebooks. I may change it at some point, but it's just so hard for me because I just like holding a book so much. But I'm not super particular on paperbacks versus hardbacks. If I have the choice though, I tend to choose paperbacks just because they're easier to carry around. <laughs> I don't know if that's boring. What about you? No, this is inter- this is interesting content. <laughs> I think like for me, um I like I um recently have gotten really into like audiobooks and ebooks because I downloaded my library app and so now it's very easy to get them and I read a lot more now uh like I was reading a lot beforehand but now can read like even more which is fantastic um because I do a lot of things like with my hands like I'm a knitter and a crocheter and I also um enjoy making art and so it's nice to have like an audiobook to listen to instead of like a podcast or watching youtube or things like that when I'm knitting uh, or doing other things with my hands and I, I also, I, I prefer a physical book over an ebook, but I think that having a book on my phone is like really nice because if I'm in a moment where I don't really want to just sit and be alone with my thoughts, I can just pull out my phone and like read a book instead of like uh, having the internet poured into my brain <laughs> for however long it takes for something to start happening again. So I, I do like that. Um, that's fair, because I carry a book around with me everywhere, but that's not always convenient. Indeed. And I feel like for like physical books, I like to go to the library a lot, but I also am not necessarily all that good at returning my library books on time. So I have, you know, I, I buy a lot of books at like the thrift store. But that's not always necessarily like the books that I like most want to be reading because it's kind of, you know, random selection. So, you know, there's a, a mix of books that I'm... Well, I have the advantage of my library is my university and I have to go there anyways. So I just drop Indeed. off and get books while I'm there. <laughs> if I had to go, like, I've been like to the library that's like not my university like once in the last eight months. So I feel... Indeed. But, yeah. Any any other questions? Uh, no, that's it. Okay, so, folks, now you know a little bit about us to go into the podcast. And if you, if you enjoyed this, we have a Patreon, but also um, reviews are always appreciated. And, yeah, just um, we're happy you're here along for the ride. Indeed. And... We will be introducing a new book that won a Hugo every two weeks. So if you want, you've got two weeks to read the first one and you can try to keep up with us. Indeed, yes. The book for um, the next episode is uh, The Demolished Man. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting one. Indeed. But yeah, so anyways, bye.